What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the doghouse here on the OBR streaming network. Part one of two shows that you get to hang out with me tonight. We got the doghouse here, seven o'clock. Welcome in. Hope you're ready for a great conversation. Very excited for our special guest. I've got, I've had this guy lined up for like three months to come on to this show, and I'm super excited to finally get to talk to him uh, uh, about the upcoming Browns and Seahawks matchup. It's been a wild ride for us Browns fans. So we'll get into that, and then make sure you stay tuned after the doghouse here tonight, 9 p.m. It's my other show. It's Garage Beers. It's our Cleveland Cavaliers season preview. We're going to talk to the radio voice of the Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn, to preview the season and get rolling with basketball season. It's hard to believe it's here, but it is here. So welcome on in here live. Make sure you have subscribed and tuned into everything OBR. The OBR is your best place for Cleveland Browns coverage. The oldest and the largest independent Brown site in Cleveland right here, the OBR. Again, I'm your host, Michael Keefe. Find me online at Garage Beers Mike. And again, if you're new to the doghouse, the theme is simple. I didn't want to just preview the show from a Browns perspective. So the point of this show is I bring in a guest every week from the upcoming opponent for the Browns, and we preview it two-sided. I'm going to talk to our guest tonight about the Seahawks and what we can expect out of the matchup. We're going to talk about the positions, the offense versus the defense and all that. And they're going to be able to ask us. So I want this to be a two-sided thing. So they're going to be able to ask questions of us, get in the comments uh, about the Browns and what, what, what they're thinking out there in Seattle about the Cleveland Browns. So without further ado, I'm going to bring him in. I see him in the background. He covers the Seahawks for SB Nation's field goals. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk to him. You can find him online at Mookie Alexander. Bringing him in now, it is Mookie Alexander. Mookie, welcome into the doghouse. Hey, how's it going? It's great great to be in the doghouse. We don't get this matchup very often. So most of the time, it's it's once every four years, unless, you know, with this expanded schedule, you might get the odd, odd matchup out of rhythm. But still, um, I'm just glad that this matchup has meaning for both teams. This is one of the biggest games of the week. Yeah, and it feels like every time we do get this matchup, Mookie, it's a weird game. It feels like every time the Browns and the Seagull, or the Seahawks, Seagulls, geez, oh, Pete, the Seahawks play each other, it's a weird game. It's it's like nine to six, or like thirteen to eleven, or just something weird like that. These two teams always, when they do, rarely get together. It always seems like a game like that. Oh yeah, I remember the um, oh the my first Brown Seahawks game as a fan of the team was the 2007 one. So that's the Derek Anderson year where they almost made the playoffs at 10 and six. And we had a massive lead and then blew it. And then Jamal Lewis must have like three or four rushing touchdowns. And then uh, Cleveland ended up winning in overtime. And then the next matchup was the awful 6-3 game in which Charlie White first and Colt McCoy started. The, the literal worst Seahawks football game I have ever watched and probably one of the worst games in NFL history. And then uh, Johnny Football came over to Seattle one time and, and it didn't go very well. Seattle won comfortably. And I think the last meeting was um, Baker Mayfield have, jumping out to what, a 20 to 7 or 20 to 6 lead. And Seattle came back to, uh, to, to win that. And it was a wild game at the end with, with all, all of the turnovers by Baker and the Seahawks kind of swannering some opportunities here and there. So this year, it is going to be a weird matchup by default because the Seahawks just play weird games. And Cleveland just played maybe the weirdest ending of the season. <laughs> well, weirdest, most most fortuitous, maybe some would like to say. Yes. We're gonna take we're gonna take it here in Cleveland. We're gonna take it though. Anytime you get that win in the win column, that's all that matters. Yeah, I was thinking about. I was just thinking about the last time the two teams played. It was it was 2019, and it was. I remember the Browns went up big. I feel like we took my son to his first movie. That's a really weird, jarring memory for me. 
We took my son to his first movie. It was like Frozen 2. Mm -hmm. And when I went into the movie, the Browns were rolling. They were just, it looked like they were just going to roll all day, all day long. And when we came out of the movie, Chris Carson had just scored a touchdown to put the the Seahawks up and we lost that game. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's always interesting when these two teams get together and these are two really interesting teams. And I'm really excited to get into the matchup. I'm really excited to learn more about the Seahawks because again, we know what we know about the Seahawks as much as we know about any other NFL teams, but you guys being out on the West coast, us being an east side or an, an east side of the U.S. team, we see you guys play. We just don't see a lot, and and I don't think people are real familiar with the ins and outs of the Seahawks. So I'm really excited to learn that from you, Mookie. But the first thing we always do, we like to get to know our guest a little bit. Mookie Alexander, again, check him out online at Mookie Alexander. Check out Field Goals, uh, uh, the the site that Mookie writes for, and and is a, a an editor publisher. You do everything for for Field Goals, basically. Uh, but let's get to know you. First of all, how'd you, how, are you from Seattle? Are you a, a lifetime Seahawks fan? How'd you come to become a Seahawks fan and cover the Seahawks? Not a lifetime Seahawks fan, but I lived in the Seattle area for seven years. In fact, the year I moved there um, was a few months before they had their magical run to the Super Bowl. So that's two, I moved there in February 2005. And then Seattle made the Super Bowl that year with Mike Conglin and Matt Hasselbeck and Sean Alexander. Yeah. Oh, God, so I've been game. following the Seahawks kind of, you know, loosely when when i was living in las vegas um i became a lapsed 49ers fan because not only were they we used to get their games in vegas and i'm a bay area native I'm from california but once they started to get worse we would see the 49ers on tv less sean alexander was one of my favorite running backs and the last name certainly helps and they got jerry rice when they traded for jerry rice again a, a legend of the sport and the best receiver ever in the eyes of most people i went yeah you know what if if you have those two and the family's looking to move into Seattle, it's time time to pull for the Seahawks. My dad never taught me anything about team loyalty or anything like that. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> so I've stuck with the Seahawks ever since. We're, we're going on almost 20 years now. Unfortunately, um, the year I left Seattle was 2012. And then the following year, of course, naturally, they win the Super Bowl. Um, and they won it in, in New York, which is where I lived for a few years. But now I'm, I'm back on the West Coast in the Portland area. So there are a lot of Seahawks fans out here, understandably. And because we're a secondary market, we, we we get all the Seahawks games. So I never have to deal with any issues there compared to living in New York, where it's just Jets, Jets and Giants every week. And that is oh, just gross. It, it, especially those those years where neither one of those teams was, was mustering up five wins. <laughs> New Yorkers need red zone as like a complimentary pass or something. They they need <laughs> they, they, they don't need anything. They don't need to be gifted anything. I don't feel bad for them at all. Uh Mookie, uh this that's so funny because when we when the Browns played the 49ers, we had Rob Guerrero on. Mm-hmm. He's from Connecticut uh and covers the four and he loves the 49ers, big time 49ers fan. You're from the Bay Area. And you're a Seahawks guy. I love that. We're just the connections all over the place. I love yeah, it. And Rob's a Mariners fan. So, I mean, that, that, that's that's kind of funny how that all worked out. Yeah. Uh, real quick, favorite Seahawks player of all time? Uh, just for a player to root for, uh, Doug Baldwin. Oh, Doug Baldwin. I mean, Doug Baldwin is such an underappreciated player on a national level. I think the fans appreciate him quite a bit. Um, I, I would have said Russell Wilson a couple of years ago. While he's still one of my favorites, Certainly the last few years have kind of changed opinion a bit, but Doug Baldwin, I can never get mad at, at angry Doug Baldwin. I mean, undrafted receiver out of Stanford, and he became like an instant hit in the Tavares Jackson year. And then, of course, the great years with Wilson. It is just a shame that injuries robbed him of a longer career because yeah. he really was 
the guy who could do all the little things so well. I mean, he he was just a, yeah. a heck of a receiver to watch. He had a Steve Smith Senior type of quality to his game that I uh, that I appreciate so much. And um, Doug is still doing some wonderful things in the in within the Seattle community, charity work, uh, foundations, all that stuff. He he's just an awesome dude, and I'll always root for Doug Baldwin. I- that's a great name because I feel like that's a guy, again, when you're not from Seattle and you think about really good players, you never are going to think of Doug Baldwin, but man, he was a monster there for a couple of years. He was a monster in Seattle for a couple of years. So that's a good one. How about favorite non-Seahawk player? Favorite non-Seahawk player? I just mentioned Steve Smith like 10 minutes, 10 seconds ago. It feels So like. you got a type, you've got a type of, of player. I like the the sort of underdog stories yeah. in the NFL. I, I mean, like I, I will go to my my grave or or, or in, into my urn saying um, <laughs> that Darren Sproles should be in the Hall of Fame, just just because of his all purpose value as a kick returner, punt returner, and as a receiver and a, and as a as a kind of a scat back. I, I, and I being like five six. And... Yes, absolutely. You're not supposed to to have a, a lengthy yeah. NFL career like he did. And at least he got a Super Bowl ring, albeit injured when he was with Philadelphia, but. Yeah, Steve Smith Sr., just because he gives us so many quotes and, and he's that, that feistiness, and to me, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Sproles is definitely not going to the Hall of Fame. But Steve Smith Sr., he's eventually going to get in, I would think. I mean, most of the other dudes with over 1,000 catches in their career, they're much taller than Steve Smith Sr., and they were playing with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Steve Smith yeah. played with Joe Flacco and Jake DeLome, and only a couple of years at Cam Newton. He didn't even get to play with prime Cam Newton for very long. Yeah, I agreed. All right, last thing. I know you lived there for a while. I know you don't live there anymore, but you're right. I mean, Portland and Seattle right down the road. Uh, best food in Seattle? Best food in Seattle. It has been a really, really long time, um, oh. but there was, a, there was a hero spot not too far away from the, the, the park near Pike Place Market that I absolutely yeah. love going to, and I'll eat heroes pretty much all the time. So all right. it, I just cannot remember the name of that establishment. I'm sure it's still around. But um, this, the Seattle food scene has, has really expanded since since I left. Um, and certainly uh, Vietnamese noodle soup pho. Um, I don't oh, know yeah. how popular that is out in, in, in Ohio, but there was a place I went in the U District, so the University of Washington campus area. Yeah. Bowl I have ever had, and it was, it was so cheap. It was like, and this is even a $2011, like five bucks for this massive bowl that I had a hard time finishing. I haven't found anything to quite replicate that since then. Um, Anywhere else I've eaten uh, some good old-fashioned pho. I love it. All right, Mookie, let's get into these two teams. Hopefully you brought some stuff that you want to talk about in regards to the Browns. I certainly have some stuff that uh, that myself and Browns fans want to get into about the Seahawks. Again, if you're joining us live here tonight, get in the comments, and we will talk about – we will address your questions, address your comments, uh, and all that. So – Mookie, let's start with the Seahawks. Let's start. You guys are the visitors here in the doghouse. Let's talk about the Seahawks. Four and two. It's the battle of two four and two teams. Uh, And let's start on the defensive side of the ball because things have been pretty impressive. I will say it it hasn't been a ton of offensive juggernauts you guys have gone up against so far this year. But things have been pretty impressive defensively. You've only allowed two teams this season to score 20 or more points in a game. Uh, And for the most part, you guys are uh, your your Seahawks team is locking teams down pretty well on the defensive side of the ball. So just talk about identity defensive wise, uh, and and you know I think so many people associate the Legion of Boom and the Seattle Seahawks, and this certainly isn't that quite that group. Uh, but just talk about the Seahawks defensively and what's made them so good this year. 
Yeah, we, we've been waiting quite a bit. In, in the post-Legion of Boom years, um, the Seahawks defense has just not been anywhere near what it was during the Super Bowl years. And we should expect that. You, you don't have like 10-year dynasties of, of great defenses. It's just too hard to, to maintain everybody. You got injuries, you got this, excuse me, you got that. It's a lot different compared to an offense where you can have an elite offense almost every year for as long as you have an elite quarterback and other you know key skill position players and offensive line, all that good stuff. But this year, it didn't start out well, for sure. They got ripped apart by the Rams defensively. Yeah. And they gave up 30 points at 400-something something yards of total offense. Matthew Stafford threw for over 300. That was Puka Nakua's um, immediate hello to the NFL. Uh, the, the Seahawks just had no answer for him. They, they got no sacks on Matthew Stafford. They hardly hit him. And then against the Lions, they still gave up 31 points. But you could start to see things slowly turn around a bit. They got a pick six off of Jared Goff. That was pretty pivotal in their win. They, they got a couple of sacks. And uh, to me, what coincides with the improvement of the Seahawks defense is the return of two players in the secondary. One is Jamal Adams, who's been back since the New York Giants game. And now he's got two full games under his belt because, of course, he got concussed on Monday night uh, in the Meadowlands. But yep. Adams has, has looked good. That was my concern entering the season is that he's been injured so much. And Seahawks fans have kind of gotten on his case for some, you know, not having great performances necessarily the first couple of years in Seattle and then the injuries, which I mean, he's not getting injured on purpose. People shouldn't dog him for that. <laughs> he, he, he's looking healthy. He's looking like he's helping his, his secondary mates in terms of their freedom to, to roam other parts of the field instead of what the Seahawks have had to do in his absence. And we, we haven't even seen Adams be a prolific pass rusher yet. Like he was three seasons ago when he, when he got nine and a half sacks for Seattle. Um, but the revelation is Devin Witherspoon the rookie cornerback out of Illinois. Now, the Seahawks historically do not draft cornerbacks early, um, at least under Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They hadn't done it since Marcus Trufant. That was 20-some-odd years ago. Yeah. But Witherspoon missed the first game with a hamstring injury. In fact, he missed all the preseason and a bit of training camp with a hamstring injury. And then he also was the last pick of the entire draft to sign his contract. So suddenly everybody's going, oh, no, have, have we made the wrong pick? Should we have drafted Jalen Carter because the Seahawks needed help on the defensive line? The, the whole nine yards. Everybody was panicking a bit. Um, but since he's come in, he has looked like a legit defensive rookie of the year candidate. He has eight passes defense. He has an interception. He should add another one against the Cardinals, but they took it away on a roughing the passer penalty. Um, he's getting after the quarterback. He had a sack against the Giants. Everybody who watched the Giants game, he, he looked like a superstar. He had a sack yeah. against Arizona that again got erased by penalty. He basically had one of the best games that didn't count. <laughs> and he had a massive hit on Rondale Moore that was reminiscent of Cam Prime Cam Chancer. I mean, I, I, I'm going to have to use Legion of Boom comparisons and, and maybe go over the top here, but it would be amazing if he hits like Cam Chancer but covers like a prime Richard Sherman, because Seahawks, uh, sorry, Seahawks opposing quarterbacks have not been shy testing him, at least the first few games. Jared Goff certainly tested him, and they caught him on a, on a little okey-doke play. They caught him peeking into the backfield on a flea flicker. He gave up a touchdown. But I, I believe later in that game, he got a fourth down pass breakup. That was pretty big in, in preventing the Lions from growing their lead. Andy Dalton tested him a bunch of times. I think they threw at him 13 times. He only gave up four catches. Um, obviously, the Giants tested him, and he gave up maybe a couple of catches, but he had the pick six that pretty much ended the game. And yeah. then against the Bengals and Cardinals, he hasn't been targeted a whole lot. He is a, a, a sound tackler, really active in, in, in run support. And when you look at the Seahawks secondary, which has been a weakness of this team since the Legion of Boom dissolved, you have Reek Woolen, who was almost a defensive rookie of the year last year, hasn't even gotten off to a, 
particularly great start this year, but you have Woolen on one side. Devin Witherspoon can play on the outside or in the slot, which is a lot different than the Legion of Boom years where everybody kind of had their defined roles. But you have Woolen on the outside, you have Witherspoon in the outside in the slot, and you have Trey Brown, who had been battling injuries the first two years of his career, and he's having a breakout season. He picked off Joe Burrow with, with just a phenomenal play, just locking down Jamar Chase. You have that aforementioned pick six against the Lions. So you have three real quality starting corners ranging from decent, which I'll, I'll go with Trey Brown just to, to be on the pessimistic side, pretty decent to outright bordering on elite or potentially elite. I mean, the, the ceiling for Witherspoon in particular is arguably higher than Woolens just because he's a better tackler than Reek. Um, but yes, the secondary has, has been a major part of why the Seahawks defense has turned things around over the past few weeks. Granted, they haven't played P.J. Walker yet, as that commenter noted. Um, <laughs> it's going to get tougher. they got to play Lamar Jackson in a couple weeks. they got to play Matthew Stafford again. they got to play Dak Prescott and, and Jalen Hurts down the line. So yeah. they're, they're going to be tested a, a lot more than they have been playing you know, Daniel Jones and, and Joshua Dobbs. But between the secondary and, the, and then the pass rush, which that was another question mark, 23 sacks through the first six yeah. games which is top five. Their sack rate's pretty high. Their pressure rate's among the best. Um, did their pass rush was an issue has, has been an issue for years and their run defense was a, a major problem last year and this year they're number one in yards per carry at just 3.5 so the, the Seahawks are, are, are looking good to great pretty much all three levels with the linebacker play Bobby Wagner uh, was brought back of course he's a future Hall of Famer alongside Jordan Brooks who to me is one of the unsung stories for the Seahawks this season because he tore his ACL in January against the Jets he was ready right. in week one. And so that Wagner and Brooks has stabilized that linebacker position. Bobby is still playing at a high level, not necessarily at the same level with the same responsibilities as, as 2012 through 2016 or, or through 2018. But the Seahawks have had a hard time finding that right set of players and the right scheme for, for their players to run and, and build a cohesive defense again. I don't want to jump to they're going to be a top three or top five even this year. I think they're going to have some reality checks, but they have the foundations and the, and the pieces in place to be a really good defense this year and for the foreseeable future. I, I'm pretty pumped with, with how this defense has performed. In fact, both of our teams, the defense has kind of been the story of the season because the offense has been a, a little more on the inconsistent side. Well, and you hit, I, you hit on pretty much everything that I had written down. I had written down Devin Witherspoon, uh, I had written down Bobby Wagner. I mean, I, it, it reminds me of going up against the the 49ers and you just have that linebacker in the middle that's just better than everybody. And Bobby Wagner, still that guy, uh, still really good. And I had written down Reed and Maffe on the uh, on the edges that are just getting after the quarterbacks. They've got four sacks apiece. Uh, so, yeah, defensively, a little bit of a resurgence in Seattle. And it's three straight games of allowing less than 250 yards of total offense. Uh, so they're on a roll, too. Again, uh, the the offenses that they've gone up against haven't been spectacular. But, you know, sometimes you get that roll early in the year, and, and that's kind of what we're hoping, too, with this Browns defense. You get that roll early in the year going, and it gives you that kind of uh, confidence to go later in the year when you face a little bit better offenses uh, and, and your team's feeling it, and they can continue that. So, yeah, you, defensively, Seahawks off to a great start. Uh, it's, it's, a go ahead. it's a structural thing, too. I mean, do the eye, do the eye test match up with the advanced stats? And yeah, these are bad offenses. They're generally playing. But are they making them look bad, too? Are, are there coverage busts that are just not being punished by bad quarterbacks? 
so far it looks like guys are not getting open. Uh, they're, they're setting edges pretty well. The gap integrity is strong. So th they look like a really good and downhill defense. And that's whether it's Quandre Diggs now having to getting to play down in the box more often because Jamal Adams is back or you mentioned Boye Mafe having a, a major second year leap. He's got four sacks. Um, one downer is that Uchenna Nwosu, one of our key pass rushers and run defenders on the edge, he's out for the season. Um, he, yeah. he had a pec strain against Arizona, and they did some further x-rays, and it looks like he will need surgery. So that is a massive loss for, for this Seahawks defense. And probably not going to be anything done this week, but I wouldn't be shocked if they dipped into the trade market uh, on Halloween to figure out, can can we add some depth there? Because Dar Derek Hall and Daryl Taylor are presumably his his backups. But Hall would have to do a lot of growing up quickly as a rookie, and Taylor would have to improve significantly as a run defender to, to match Nuosu's productivity on, on both sides. He's a real two-way outside linebacker, and that's just a big blow to a Seahawks defense for the most part has been healthy over the past few weeks. Let's switch over to the other side of the ball for the Seahawks, uh, and let's talk about let's, – let's just start with the fun stuff. Let's talk about the two things that Browns fans are going to be most interested in. One, you got a Buckeye out there on that offense, and not everybody here in Cleveland is a Buckeye, and not everybody's an Ohio State fan, but a lot of people here like the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, and you you guys went out and got Jackson Smith and Jigba in the draft last year. Um, found the end zone in your last game uh, against Arizona. Just talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh, the, the progress that he's making because, again, it's a crowded wide receiver room. But in the absence of DK Metcalf uh, last week against Arizona, JSN seemed to show out a little bit. Yes, he did. Four catches for 63 yards and his first NFL touchdown the previous week he had in Ohio back in his home state. He had four catches for 48 yards, 48 yards and should have had a touchdown. But Geno Smith ended up missing him wide open and ended up taking off for 10 yards. So it wasn't a negative play in the sense that he took a sack or threw an interception. It's just that it could have been a bigger play. Um, it, it was kind of a slow start for Smith and Jigba in the first few regular season games. And part of it is he had wrist surgery. He hurt his wrist in the second preseason game, had a huge catch on a pass deep down the field thrown by Drew Locke. And then his left wrist fell pretty hard on the turf. And it turns out he had a slight fracture in his bone. So they were wondering, would he miss time? Would he miss the regular season? He didn't even miss a practice, but he did does have some protective wear on his hand. So I think that's part of why it's, he's had a couple of drops, but nothing too glaringly bad. Um, the, the complaint that Seahawks fans had about JSN's usage was it felt like everything was two yards and, and in with the line of scrimmage. Like all these quick screens and really, really short throws. His average depth of target was, was basically well, closer to zero than it is to five. And that's <laughs> not how you want to, that, you don't want to use your first round pick that way. Right. Um, but, in Seattle's defense, in offensive coordinator Shane Waldron's defense, you look at Smith and Jigba, he's a longer-term play as a first-round pick. He's not replacing DK Metcalf. And Tyler Lockett is, is still playing at a high level. Admittedly, I don't know how much longer he's going to play at, at this at this level, but let's give it a couple of years just for um, just to use an example. But Smith and Jigba is, what, 21 years old, and right. he's behind two really good, if not great wide receivers, a really good duo. And then you have their tight end group of Noah Fant, Will Disley, and Kobe Parkinson. And the Seahawks threw to tight ends a ton last year. Not so much this year, but they're, they're still throwing a reasonably high number of targets their way. So Smith and Jigba is not like other first-round receivers who step in and be the top option or the second option. So Smith and Jigba is slowly but surely getting more involved in the offense and the ways that we expected him to, which is as that third down zone beater, 
guy who can get open in man coverage and with, without, you know, need, needing big speed. It's just his footwork, his route running, um, it's his hands. So I, I think that Smith and Jigba is going to slowly but surely be a, a major part of this offense, much in the way that Tyler Lockett got off to a slow start as a rookie in Seattle. I mean, these things take time. And sure. for, for the Seahawks, it, it's kind of that balancing act for how, how you're going to distribute these targets. You want to give Smith and Jigba the ball more, but at the expense of Metcalf targets or at the expense of Lockett targets. Um, right. So, yeah, you have a good you have a good problem to have, I guess you could say. And I've been wanting a, a high-level wide receiver as a third option for a while because we've, we've kind of gone through the ringer since, since the end of the Baldwin Golden Tates and and Jermaine Curse run, and then you know we became Baldwin Lockett. That third receiver has kind of been a, a revolving door. Whether yeah. it's been Jerron Brown or Brandon Marshall for a few games, or David Moore or Freddie Swain or Marquise Goodman last year is a really good uh, third option. But uh, he's now he's with Cleveland. But yeah. Smith looks like somebody who's a third wide receiver for now, but could conceivably be this team's second wide receiver or number one wide receiver by the end of his rookie contract. So yeah. Yes. And, and the thing is, he's not even the best rookie on the team in terms of production so far, you could argue that that would belong to an undrafted receiver and Jake Bobo. I mean, Bobo mania has just taken off. He's got eight catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns, which isn't lighting the world on fire. But when you consider the uh, the undrafted free agent receiving group this year across the entire NFL, he's basically the only UDFA receiver doing anything on offense. Um, and with Bobo, it's more than just the catches that he's a really good run blocker. He's a willing blocker. The fact that we ran a screen pass on third down and it didn't lose five yards because <laughs> Bobo helps block Smith and Jigba free for a first down the yards after catch. We thought that felt like a, winning another Super Bowl because our screen game <laughs> was so bad for so long. And part of it is because of the personnel, meaning we don't have a lot of guys who can, are great at breaking tackles or anything like that. But the other part would be not having great receiving uh, uh, blocking receivers. Bobo right. wins the part. And if anybody saw his touchdown against Arizona, that's one of the, the craziest touchdowns of the year. Yeah, not it was the, awesome. Yeah, I mean, the catch itself is is not out of this world in terms of what you see from, you know, Odo Beckham in his prime or, or, or other elite receivers in, of today's game. But it's the footwork to get both feet down. And he's done that for both of his touchdowns. So... Um, even when Metcalf comes back, which is probably this week, and if not, then uh, that was my um, next question: Is yeah, he back? You know, is he back this weekend? Pete Carroll said it's a wait and see, and that's the first time that Metcalf has missed a game. So I don't it, know. Take it slow, DK. Take it slow. <laughs> yeah, take it easy, buddy. Take it easy. I love that you're saying that. And meanwhile, I've been combating Seahawks fans for weeks because they've been upset, and not unjustifiably so, with the penalties that he's been committing meaning multiple personal foul penalties for, for unnecessary yeah. roughness. Sometimes he's, he's been, he's been dinged for a, a personal foul for a face mask, but you know, that's, that, that was kind of an incidental thing, but he's been fine quite a bit this year. And because of his penalties, we, we've had some discussion about, Hey, should the Seahawks trade DK Metcalf and this or that, or I'm, I'm like, are you out of your mind? If we Metcalf got a, so we got a six rounder with yeah. your name on it for DK. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If Metcalf, if Metcalf gets traded tomorrow, and then Bobo and Smith and Jigba move up the depth chart. And then one of them gets hurt. And one of them already got hurt in preseason. I don't think anybody is clamoring for wide receiver three D Eskridge or, or Cody Thompson or anybody else on the bottom of the depth chart. 
you need re- high-end receiving talent in today's NFL. To me, you can yeah. never draft enough receivers. Cleveland, obviously, was, was hell-bent on making sure, okay, we're going to trade for Amari Cooper for practically nothing because Dallas yep. is stupid. Um, we're going to trade for <laughs> Elijah Moore. We have Donovan Peoples-Jones is, is, is still on the roster, <laughs> but and, and your punt returner, but still. Uh, and certainly there's a love-hate relationship, it seems, with DPJ. But it, you look at the top teams in the NFL, and they all have deep, deep investments at the wide receiver and or tight end position. And yes, Dallas did cho- choose Michael Gallup over Amari Cooper, and Cleveland should be very thankful for that. We are. We are. Uh, all right, let's go over to your quarterback. Uh, because it really is, of all the stories and the feel-good things and all that, I think one of the coolest stories that's happened in the NFL for the past several years is just this career resurgence of Geno Smith. That guy's career was dead in the water after New York. I mean, it really felt like we weren't going to see Geno Smith really do a lot uh, ever again. It felt like his confidence was absolutely shot. He finds his way to Seattle. He bides his time. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in the starting role. And and not only does he surprise everybody last year with the season that he had, but he makes them confident enough to just say, yeah, well, all right, well, you're just our starting quarterback now. Uh, His numbers aren't gaudy. I do love the fact that he's completing about 70% of his passes is awesome uh, for a guy that he takes care of the football pretty well, seven touchdowns to four interceptions. He's been sacked 13 times, which is not near the, the league lead. He does. He's still able to move around a little bit. And he just, he's not the, uh, he's not the guy when you line up, when you're a team going up against another team and you see, you know, the big name, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, for the most part, quarterbacks, he doesn't, he doesn't worry you in that way, but he does worry you as a Browns fan in this game coming up. My concern with Geno Smith is, is he going to be able to, are we going to be able to control the pass rush to not let him get out of there? And two, how are you going to turn this guy over? Because right now, the way things are going for the Browns, they need turnovers. The Browns have to get turnovers to win football games. And Geno's just not a guy that gives the ball up a whole heck of a lot. So now just talk about the play of Geno Smith and, and uh, uh, you know, how he's looking this year and, and uh, just kind of your impressions of him. Yeah, Geno's been a tremendous story because, as you mentioned, his time with the Jets was terrible, and he was playing terribly, and the Jets were a terrible, were slash are, okay, we'll go with were a terrible organization because at least they they got a chance this year even with Zach Wilson, a quarterback, but um, it was just a dysfunctional situation, and then Geno, when he got his chance again to to, to start, he tore his ACL in 2016, and that was the end. Um, but since then, you, you back up Eli Manning, you back up Philip Rivers, you back up Russell Wilson. Now, you don't necessarily just gain good quarterback play like by osmosis or something. Otherwise, Jordan Love would be an all-pro right now, um, but he isn't. But Geno seemingly was the type to, to learn from his, his personal uh, – his, his mistakes on the field. And then eventually, I think Seattle ended up being a, a good spot for him to, to, to play to his strengths and to play in a more spread-out offense. He's a really accurate passer. Now, he has been giving it away a little too much for the eyes of Seahawks fans. It's funny because the perception of him as a turnover machine early on in his career was totally justified. His rookie career felt like he was throwing pick sixes every week. But yeah, he, he's getting some turnovers in this year. Um, he, he threw an interception. It was a really bad decision last week. And he threw two against Cincinnati the week before. Um, and then he lost a fumble on a, on a drop snap. And you know what? A drop snap happens to, to literally every quarterback. Everybody. The decision-making is a little bit of a concern because pro football focus has 
the much debated uh, turnover worthy play metric, which Gino himself right. said is not a real stat. And he was near the top in turnover worthy play rate last year. And then he is uh, uh, thereabouts again this year. It's just that he hasn't been getting picked a ton. Um, he certainly could have thrown another pick last week against Arizona on a pass that should have gone to literally anybody but Smith and Jigba and the linebacker sat on it and just dropped the pick. But overall, he's still producing at a pretty good clip. And there needs to be some context with Geno this year because Seattle has had almost no offensive line stability from, from the second half of the Rams game till now. The starting offensive line was supposed to be Charles Cross at left tackle, Damian Lewis at left guard, Evan Brown at center, Bill Haynes at right guard, Abe Lucas at right tackle. Cross has missed time. Lucas, I don't know if he's even back this season because he's got some sort of mysterious knee thing going on and he's been on injured reserve and there's no indication he's he's not playing this week, that's for sure. Um, But there's no indication of when he's going to return. So that's your two tackles. Cross is already back. Lewis didn't play against, um, against Cincinnati. And Evan Brown just missed this last game against Arizona with a hip injury. Don't even know if he's going to play this week. He has a chance to get back. Uh, Haynes had just missed um, last week, and a rookie, Anthony Bradford, had to come in for him. Back Haynes had to play left guard a couple weeks back. And our backup left tackle, Stone Forsythe, had to play right tackle this week. So it's been a mash unit along the offensive line. And Gino, to me, if we could add some nuance with with Gino, as I said earlier, he may not necessarily be a long-term answer as a franchise quarterback in the way that you definitely think of Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, or some of the other established right. quarterbacks at this point. But he is at least an, an a slightly above average to, off to, to to sometimes well above average quarterback. He does need some things to, to really be right around him, and the offensive line has to be as whole as it can possibly get. And I don't know if we're going to get that anytime soon. He's been pressured a lot. He's one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the league, but he's not bleeding sacks in the way that Russell Wilson has tended to bleed sacks over the years, regardless of which offensive line the Seahawks shot out. So I think Smith has done well, given they've had to adjust the offense so much with the pressure in his face. Um, he, he has been chancy with some of his passes, but he also makes some absolutely incredible tight window throws. Um, the deep ball isn't as prolific as it was last season, but I think that'll come in due time. Again, they've had to change the offense a bit. They had to rely on 12 personnel, the one back and two tight ends, sometimes 13 personnel have a third tight end in there to compensate for the fact that they've got such an inexperienced and banged up offensive line. Um, So Gino, I think has had a good year, not as hot a start as last season, but some of his issues with the turnovers and, and missing open receivers, those are correctable. And I think they will get corrected down the line. And I certainly would rather that Gino play his best ball in the second half of the season than the first half. I don't want him to peak in October, which is essentially what he did last year. Right. Um, if, and we've been through this before as Seahawks fans, where Russell Wilson had some slow starts to the season and then tore it up in the second half, and then the other way around happened. So yeah. I, I think that Gino's best football is, is, is still to come. And I, I'm, I'm glad to root for him. Now, with that said, I'm not against Seattle drafting a quarterback next year. And, and looking at the bigger picture because Gino is, is already in his mid-30s or, or mid-ish right. 30s at 33 years old. But I'm not ready to move on from him just yet until there's like ample evidence that, no, he really can't get it done. Um, it feels like he's been in the league for 27 years. Yeah, it's, it's been a decade. And I, I feel like fans are, are Seahawks, some Seahawks fans are a little too hasty. With, but whenever he makes a mistake or something, I, I see calls for Drew Locke or Gino wasn't the answer. And I feel like this is kind of a, a confirmation bias thing where 
there were a lot of fans, myself included, who didn't want him to be the starter last year. I thought, all right, trade him for Drew Locke. He's the young guy in his 20s. Yeah. If you work out for him in Denver, let's see what he has. And Gino proved everybody wrong. Locke didn't have a great preseason last year, albeit with a missed game due to COVID. Locke's been better in terms of what he did in this year's preseason, but I see no reason for Gino to lose his job anytime soon. And Locke is a backup for a reason. He's a capable backup. We know that. But with Gino, he is a definite starting NFL level yeah. starter in this league. And he may not be somebody who's going to produce the gaudy numbers like a Mahomes or Jalen Hurts or do all those amazingly elite things. But right now, he's, I think, 11th in expected points added per play. He's somewhere in the top 10 or 12 in QBR. It's just they got to fix that red zone. And, and the yeah. red zone has been so bad. And I don't think it's entirely on him. He's part of the Well, play. yeah, that's it's, it's interesting, too, because it's a good running attack. You know, Kenneth Walker and you draft Zach Charbonnet this year, and that's a pretty solid one-two punch. Kenneth Walker last year as a rookie in his second year. It's interesting for a team to have a mobile quarterback, a sound running game, two good running backs, and the receiving threats that they have uh, to struggle in the red zone. is That's an interesting situation because it seems like once they get down there, they'd be in a pretty decent spot to be able to get it to one of about 10 different guys that can get them in the end zone. Yeah, and it's been a problem for a lot of the Pete Carroll era to, to the point where I think maybe it's time to discuss whether this is more of a, a Carroll issue in his offensive philosophy ah. now that this has gone on with four different quarterbacks and however many offensive coordinators because more often than not, they've been outside the top 10 in red zone efficiency. And yep. this they they're in, in the 20s. Last year, they were in the 20s as well. Uh, I'm talking about ranking, not percentage. Um, so this year, I believe they're 22nd. And they're below 50% in terms of converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns. Now, like I said, this is not all Geno Smith. They cannot run the ball in the red zone efficiently. Kenneth Walker has 29 carries inside the 20-yard line for 46 yards. And that is unfathomably it's not great. It's not in great. In the 20s, he can rip off big runs. But I think this comes down to this, this offensive line when put into almost like power blocking formations and and situations where you would expect a team to run the ball, they're not able to dominate on a consistent basis. So it kind of shortens the playbook a bit when you can't even like, like last weekend, they had first and goal at the one yard line. They go shotgun run, no gain. Shotgun run, run loss of a yard. They do play action pass under center on third down. And Charles Cross ends up losing his block. And Gino throws it short of the end zone to, to a cover Kobe Parkinson. And they end up kicking a field goal, much to the annoyance of the crowd. So right. I, I think there's some uninspired play calling too. I think Shane Waldron in between the twenties is a pretty good play caller with the play action proficiencies. Gino has been great in play action. Um, the, 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 the passing concepts they used to, to get 10, 15 yard plays and just easy completions in general. The running game is more efficient outside the red zone, but inside it, it feels like everything is just too difficult. They're not getting open receivers on a consistent basis. Um, Gino is occasionally making some risky decisions with the ball and they, they just don't get enough yards after the catch such that it's okay if sometimes you don't throw it to the end zone in the red zone if it means you can get a guy guy who can catch it at the 10-yard line and run into the end zone. Seattle just right. doesn't have the type of offense and they haven't had it for a long time. So these problems are not isolated to Geno or Waldron necessarily. I think this is something that has kind of been a, a, a consistent problem or recurring issue for, for the Seahawks over the years. It's just you change the cast and kind of get the same thing. Got it. Uh, this is one of those episodes where I'm blinking and it's like 40 minutes have gone by. So listen, I want to talk about this matchup, but before we get to that, 
again, I, t- I told you before you came on, man, bring what you want to talk about, about the Cleveland Browns. Again, we just, the Browns are coming off one of the wildest finishes. Uh, anybody that wants to be honest about the game knows that it was a little bit referee assisted there at the end with a horrendous pass interference call, but that's happened to us 200 million times uh, since 1999. So we will take one on our end. Uh, but coming in four and two, lots of question marks offensively losing Nick Chubb early in the season. Uh, we just, just as you were talking, got word from Tom Pelissero, uh, that was on the NFL network that, uh, Deshaun Watson had an MRI that revealed no additional damage in his shoulder. And so we still don't know what that means. We don't know if Deshaun's going to be out there. Uh, he started against, uh, uh, in our, in our game this last week against Indianapolis, Played through five passes, took a one hit, and Kevin Stefanski pulled him out of the game. So we don't know if he's going to be comfortable enough to play or if we're talking about P.J. Walker again. Uh, but we do know defensively outside of this game against um, Indianapolis where they still monstrously bothered Gardner Minshew, uh, but just gave up some weird big plays and kind of some fluky plays as well. We know the defense is great. So, Mookie, I told you to come up with some things you might want to know about the Cleveland Browns or just get some impressions up. So before we break down this matchup, uh, what'd you bring? What do you, what do you need to know about the Browns? Yeah, I think we got to start with the quarterback situation because <laughs> as, um, a buddy of dogs by nature, uh, uh Jared Muller notes, uh, PJ Walker's out of practice squad elevation. So if yeah, he's going to play again, he has to be signed to the active roster. So uh, keep, keep eye, keep eye out for news on that for tomorrow. Yeah. We'll, we'll need, we'll need to see because the, the, the other option is, is DTR, right? So, Correct. And, and the, he was like anything but ready in his NFL debut against the Ravens. And that's a tough, tough situation to play against that defense in your first career yeah. start. So when you didn't even know you were going to play until exactly. an hour so, before the game. An unexpected thing. So Deshaun Watson, at least from the little I saw in red zone in the in the Cleveland Indianapolis game. I mean, he should have thrown two interceptions the second pick that got dropped was was one that yep. should have been caught. But if he's not fit to play, then then don't play him. But I'm wondering, who do you think gives Cleveland the best chance to win at this point? Is it Walker or, or is it Watson? Because the answer should be Watson, but he's making some dreadful decisions with the ball that I don't think are necessarily injury-related. Yeah, I, the, the hard thing is it's so hard to evaluate in any way, shape, or form, Mookie. It's so hard to evaluate because – You've got Deshaun Watson of last year, which we all said, hey, we're not going to we're not going to like hopefully he comes out and looks okay. He didn't really look okay for the most part last year, but it was like, ah, you know what? He's coming off of a year and a half of not playing football. Let's just, you know, let's count this as, hey, he got some experience and maybe he'll look better. Starts the year in a bad weather game against Cincinnati. Doesn't do anything to lose them that game. So that was fine. Uh, Played really bad against Pittsburgh, like an atrocious game Monday night football against Pittsburgh. Then he came out against Tennessee and it looked like it just looked like things slowed down for him in that game. And as the game went on, it looked more and more comfortable. And it finally looked like, okay, this guy looks like it's making sense. He takes the injury against Tennessee. And then we don't see him against Baltimore. Uh, we, you know, we don't see him for a couple of weeks. He tries to come back this week. He gets hurt. Uh, it's hard. So the, the answer is this Mookie. If Deshaun Watson is okay to throw the ball, he definitely gives you a better chance to win than P.J. Walker. And P.J. Walker definitely gives you a better chance to win at this point than DTR because DTR is just not, he was drafted to not be ready. He was drafted as a project kind of guy. Uh, 
So PJ Walker, you're two and zero with him, and look at his stats. This team is two and zero with PJ Walker as the starting quarterback, and this has been what it's looked like. The Cleveland Browns are four and two, and they are getting by far the worst production out of quarterbacks in the NFL. And so it can't be worse. Uh, and so you got to say Watson, but. Man, we're just looking for Watson. I had somebody bring it up, and I thought it was a great point. I did a little Twitter space after the uh, after all the games on Sunday. I had somebody make a great point. I wish I want them to start coaching Deshaun Watson like he's a kid again. I want them to start coaching Deshaun Watson almost like he's a game man. Set the game up for Deshaun to be a game manager, and don't ask him to be the superstar player of 2020. Let him grow into being a superstar player of 2020. If the Browns could do that. And let him get comfortable and maybe a little bit of an easier role, I would be a little bit happier. And it was, hold on, in the comments, it was OG Philly that made the great point. So shout out to you, Philly. Uh, and I like that. But yeah, it, it, listen, if it's, I'm more confident with Deshaun Watson coming in if the shoulder's okay. If the shoulder's still messed up, we don't know. Again, it got reported that there's no further damage. The MRI revealed no further damage. But clearly, it wasn't 100% good to go to start that game against Indianapolis. So it, it's, it's frustrating, Mookie. It's frustrating because we don't have answers and we don't know. You know what's funny is Jacoby Brissett is out there chilling in Washington while Sam Howell gets sacked every other snap. It's, and, all, it's all everybody's talking about around here. It's all anybody in Cleveland is talking about. Yeah. I, I'm thinking if they have Brissett on the team, they could arguably be 6-0. and I mean, well, we'll go with 5-1 because Baltimore blew them out. But they, the, the game against Pittsburgh, just average quarterback playing, they, they almost certainly win that game. 100%. Um, I've been wondering about the offensive line because the running game, of course, is going to suffer because Chubbs hurts and then Ford just got hurt and he's going to miss yeah. time. So you're down to your, your Kareem Hunt is, is reunited. And then I guess Pierre Strong is your backup running back at this point or whomever. Um, how has the <laughs> offensive line responded to, to – um, the Jack Conklin injury, because I don't know the pass protection situation because the, the Browns quarterbacks have been sacked 20 times this year. Right. Um, have there been some struggles in pass protection more so than run blocking? Uh, listen, now you're bringing up, we went from like the topic everybody's rolling their eyes about in Cleveland. Do you see me? I got like visually excited there because you brought up a topic that everybody kind of likes in Cleveland, which is, listen, nobody wanted to see Jack Conklin go down with an injury, but they draft this kid, Dewan Jones. His nickname oh, is big the, man. His nickname is the Big Thanos, and he's a Buckeye. And the Browns have not been good at drafting Buckeyes up until recently. So you get this Buckeye. He's an Ohio Ohio State kid. He's nine feet tall and seven thousand pounds is what he looks like when he's out on the field. And he comes in and he's good. Like that's it's been the best story. You got this guy going up against. TJ Watt and and Nick Bosa and he's been good like it hasn't just been like kind of good for a mid-round pick kind of player he's been actual legitimately good I'm not a big PFF guy but those those grades come out every week and Dewan Jones consistently is getting ranked as one of the Browns best offensive linemen so it's been a really nice story and he's done it against the, some of the cream of the crop players in the entire NFL. And that has been awesome. So as far as the offensive line goes, listen, it's tough. Uh, I think sack stuff, I think, is 
partly offensive line, but every offensive line gives up sacks. But again, you've got DTR, they're not ready to play. You got Deshaun Watson playing timidly. You've got um, PJ Walker, who's just PJ Walker. And so I think you've got some guys in there that aren't making necessarily quick reads either. So there's a little bit of that. As far as the run game goes, Mookie, the, the Browns running game has the, it's been the biggest boomer bust run game in the NFL this year, even without Nick Chubb. They've not been consistent at all. At all. I mean, look at the numbers. Just look at what, look at Jerome Ford in the game last week. He ran, he opened the game 77 yards for Jerome Ford on like the first drive. And I think he finished the game with like 79 yards, <laughs> uh, including a big negative run where he forgot to catch a pitch. Uh, so that's how it's been. It's been like two yards, one yard, two yards, three yards, and then all of a sudden, eight yards, 10 yards, 11 yards. So uh, it, it, nothing about the Cleveland Browns offense right now is comfortable. <laughs> like that's, that's the best way I can put it. We don't know who our quarterback is. We're down to Kareem Hunt, Pierre Strong at running back. The wide receivers, Amari Cooper's amazing. And he is amazing. That's the weirdest thing the Dallas Cowboys could have done. But Donovan Peoples-Jones has been fairly non-existent this year. They, they're they trying to figure out how to use Elijah Moore. That has been weird to watch because they, if finally this last week, they kind of just let him be a wide receiver, which was good to see. Now they're getting Marquise Goodwin a little bit more involved, which is nice to see because he brings a speed element. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, but it's just, I, I it's, it's, this is my, Serge just said it in the comments. This is kind of my honest assessment. I don't, it's weird, Mookie. The whole, the offense is weird and it's very uncomfortable all the way around. Yeah. And, and yet we're four and two and we're four and two. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the least Browns thing imaginable is to have a record like that with an offense that, that can't get out of its own way sometimes. And it's just decimated with, with the injury. So yeah. I remember day one Jones was actually a top 30 visit for the Seahawks before the draft. Yeah, um, they didn't need a right tackle, but with Abe Lucas's injury, in hindsight, maybe they kind of did. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's impressive what Stefanski has been able to do. I think Stefanski gets a, a little bit of a bum rap. Um, I think he's a really good coach, and and the fact that Cleveland is in this position in a what is to, to me right now the best division in the NFL, where the worst team is Cincinnati at three and three, and they're starting to get their sea legs underneath them. Um, Stefanski's done quite well to to, to navigate. Watson's ineffective play, all the other injuries, and, and and it shows you how much coaching matters, not just him as the head coach, but replacing Joe Woods with Jim Schwartz. Oh. And then you untap the potential in this defense. And yes, the, the, the tackling, I, that's correctable. I, I didn't understand how Cleveland's secondary just was so poor tackling uh, against the Colts receivers and not playing a Gardner Minshew read option all that well. But every defense is, is due for an off game. So I think Cleveland's defense is better than than it showed against Indianapolis. But my, my last question, I suppose, um, regarding the Browns is, I don't need to talk about Miles Garrett. That dude's going to be Defensive Player of the Year nominee, front runner. He's on pace to win it. I mean, my God, the AFC North has got Garrett, TJ Watt, Trey Hendrickson, and then Baltimore's got practically everybody. That's almost a pass rush by committee. Like that, That's as deep a division as you can get just for edge rushers. But with Miles Garrett's success, that has to have translated along other parts of the defensive line. So are, are there any other standouts other than Garrett's along that defensive front that Seahawks fans should be aware of? Like, I'm sure some might also be wondering how Shelby Harris is doing because we were kind of disappointed to let him go. It's kind of worked out with, with Jaron Reed having 
uh, one of his best seasons now that he's yeah. back in Seattle. But Shelby was was one of the few bright spots on our defensive line before we everybody got let go. Okay, so Mookie, when you talk to Browns fans, yeah, everybody has been a standout on the defensive line. Everybody, oh, wow. and it's they're not wrong. When you see what the Browns went through last year on the defensive line, mm-hmm. with just an atrocious defense. I mean, they were starting Tommy Togiai and Perry on Winfrey at one point. And Jadevian Clowney had checked out. Like, he was checked. He was gone. To go from hoping Chase Winovich a couple years ago was going to, like, do something for you to this defensive look. Look, we're seeing it. And you're getting a lot of credit in the comments. Look, he knows his stuff. You got to love that. Uh, everyone. It is everyone. It is the big names they brought in. Zadarius Smith has been great. Uh the, the guy we were all excited about when they signed him, Okoronkwo, they brought in from, from Houston, has been really, really good. Really good. So on the edges, you've had such a massive upgrade to have just those three guys at any time. But then on the inside, Dalvin Tomlinson, as advertised, just a really good inside defensive tackle. Uh, and then to pair him up with Shelby Harris was another guy we were doing back – we we got it felt like we just kept getting punched in the mouth in a good way over like all of a sudden they signed Zadarius Smith all of a sudden Shelby Harris is coming and these were guys nobody thought Zadarius Smith was coming but everybody wanted Shelby Harris everybody wanted Okoronkwo and they just kept bringing these guys in uh, I saw it up here in the comments I, a guy that's been spectacular has been Mo Hurst this is a guy that that when when healthy in the NFL has been really productive anywhere he's gone. He just has struggled to stay healthy. Well, he's been healthy this year. He's been wildly good. And we're we're all the way down to like guys like Jordan Elliott that played so much last year and wasn't very good. Now that he's more of a depth player, he's been much better. He played a great game against the Colts. So the defensive line is I would struggle to say any defensive line from from a depth perspective and across the line is, is better. I mean, they are spectacular. They're spectacular. And you didn't have to break the bank for it either. I mean, Shelby is not an expensive signing Maurice Hurst, all all those other, they're they're not multi-year massive, typical, you know, early April or or March free agent signings. It's kind of the same feeling for the Seahawks. We all thought that defensive line was just going to be a massive liability because they, they weren't good last year. And then they ended up, cleaning house and getting rid of Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods, and, and Shelby Harris was a cap casualty too. We thought, what are they doing? They, they didn't even draft a, a nose tackle until the fourth round. And here we are, and the edges have been impressive with Boye Mafe's leap and then Nwosa before his injury, Derek Hall yep. and Derek Taylor's depth. And then on the interior, Mario Edwards, cheap signing, has been a really good interior rusher. Draymond Jones was the splash signing for us. We almost never do that. A three-year deal with them. Yeah. He's had... He's he a slow start, but he's found his footing, and he's going to have a bigger role as the season progresses. But uh, I think the, the big story is that the, the transformation of, of both defenses, because Seattle was given up 100-plus yards to, uh, on the ground to just about anybody last season, and now they're one of the they're the best run defense in the league in terms of yards per carry. And then with Cleveland, they were just get, getting gashed against the run at times and, and struggling to get pass rush from guys not named Miles Garrett. And, and that was it with, with, with Cleveland as, as one of the top scoring defenses. And before this, this Colts game, I think they had given up the fewest yards through the first five games in a season um, since the merger. And yeah, again, correct. It's like Seattle Cleveland has not played a super deep list of, of vaunted offensive 
uh, juggernauts. So Baltimore would be the best offense by far. Um, yeah. And it, that's a, an iffy game because it was DTR starting. But still, good defenses make bad offenses look worse. And I think that's what Cleveland has definitely done. And if Listen, not, it, something must be right. It's been since last year, the change on the defense. We lost a game to the Falcons last year where Marcus Mariota completed seven passes and threw an interception because they ran the ball all over us. Mm -hmm. I, I believe they had one drive where they took like 12 minutes off the clock and scored a touchdown and all they did was run the ball. Uh, that doesn't happen this year. Again, there's there's going to be ups and downs. This this Colts game, again, there were some fluky plays. There were some free plays because of some offsides, and the Colts hit on all of them. It felt like the Colts played maybe their best game offensively that you, they, you could possibly even see them play. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Browns still made enough plays to win the game. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, uh, this defense front to back mm -hmm. from the, the defensive line – which is now allowing now that the defensive line is good, it is allowing guys like Jeremiah Osukoromoa and Anthony Walker to really make plays at the linebacker position to the outstanding corners. The corners for Cleveland are great. You've you've revamped the safety room, and Grant Delpit is having a coming out year. I mean, Grant Delpit has been spectacular. It just front to back, the defense is is great. It's great. There's there's not much more you could ask from them, and that's why when you bring up a guy like Jacoby Brissett or like some. The Browns can't, you can't, that, as a fan perspective, we're all sitting here screaming, if Deshaun Watson isn't right, you cannot let this season go to waste. You cannot let this defense and this season go to waste. And that's what everybody is screaming here in Cleveland. Yeah, and I should note, yeah, San Francisco is clearly the best offense you've played, but you know, when Williams and McCaffrey and Samuel all go out the same game and it's a rainy day, you know, kind of screwy things can happen. But it's Dude, still... We, but they went out late in that game. They, they went, went out, out late, late in that game. They were still – San Francisco was still having trouble moving the ball consistently. But it feels like it's been raining like almost every Browns home game this season. But if, yeah. you can't, if you can't tell, we got a little tired of everybody saying, oh, well, Debo went out and McCaffrey went out. I'm like, McCaffrey went out in the fourth quarter, and, and I think they had negative yards in the third quarter. Yeah. So, like – But in general, this Browns defense has, has proven itself. Uh, somebody in the comments, uh, Connie, mentioning uh, Emerson. Is that is yeah. that safety or – MJ Emerson, he's MJ Emerson. one of the one of the three outstanding cornerbacks on the team. So, oh, okay. oh, I think I've heard about him in preseason because uh, I know yeah. Juan Thornhill was one of the the big free agent signings for, yep. for Cleveland. But yeah, Delpit, and this is also why any Seahawks fan want to talk about trade trading DK Metcalf, Smith and Jigba and Jake Bobo might not have as easy a time against Cleveland's secondary as they would against Arizona. No, probably not. All right, let's really quickly because we're down to it now. Let's just really quickly talk about this game. The Seattle Seahawks, the Cleveland Browns, I think two really good defenses. I think two really highly ranked defenses. The Seattle's defense is not to be messed with. Uh, and question marks offensively. I think if I'm Mookie, I'm going to start here. I think if I'm, I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking two good defenses. You have to give the edge offensively, especially if Deshaun isn't right. I don't care whether he plays or if he doesn't play. If he's not right, and he plays, or if they play P.J. Walker, I know Browns fans are going to be mad at me for this, but you have to give the edge to Seattle uh, uh, offensively. I think you do have to give a little bit of the edge to Cleveland defensively just because of the depth from front to back, but it's pretty close. Uh, but, yeah, I, this has the makings of another one of those wild games. The, a, a key for this game could be, and you've experienced, experienced it, Mookie. We see it on TV. 
Um, you got that 12th man out there. Seattle just notoriously not an easy place to go out and play and win. Uh, so I don't know. Just give me your impressions of this matchup uh, and, and how you think it boils down. So for, for Seahawks fans who are listening to this, um, I thought that Cleveland could actually, or uh, at least a couple of weeks ago, I think that Cleveland could win this game. Um, but this is also dependent on the injuries and the quarterback situation. And, and basically the, the, the quarterback kerfuffle and, and the, the, the problems that the Browns are having, I think could tilt the scales in Seattle's favor. Uh, but turnovers are really going to mean a whole lot because the Seahawks got away with one against Arizona. They were minus three in turnovers. They had done such a great job of taking care of the ball, and then they give up three three turnovers, but only gave up three points off of those turnovers. In fact, they haven't um, given up a touchdown off of any other giveaways this season, which Wild. is a huge thing. They've given it away, what, four, four interceptions from Gino and a lost fumble, and then DJ Dallas. So, so six turnovers, and they, they've yet to give up a TD. Whereas on the defensive side of the ball, they haven't had a turnover at home. They haven't had a takeaway at home. Wow. All, their, all their turnovers have been on the road. So that's kind of a weird topsy-turvy thing. But um, if Cleveland is going to give the ball away, and by that I mean Cleveland's quarterback, so it doesn't matter who's starting, um, that could right. really well give the edge to Seattle. Somebody in the comments mentioned special teams. And yes, that is a, a huge factor because Dustin Hopkins, I think, is probably your – Biggest trade, really, of the season, <laughs> Elijah Moore, because if you've gone, Cade York is probably not providing the same level of accuracy. As Mookie, Dustin. we got told, they we trade for Dustin Hopkins. He's the guy that loses the, the battle in San Francisco. Dicker the kick, or not San Francisco, uh, L.A. Uh, he loses the battle. And we get told he's really good inside 49. 49 and in, he's really good. Really reliable, 49 and in. This dude's out here in Indy last week kicking 58 yarders with plenty of room to spare right down the middle. It's been wild. It's been wild. Yeah, so special teams could mean a lot. And Jason Myers has had some ups and downs this year. He's missed four field goals already. Um, so I lean towards Seattle just eking this one out, but I, I, not giving it a little more thought, I would not be shocked if Cleveland won this game because the one clear advantage that the, the Browns have, that defensive line, good chance it can overpower Seattle's offensive line. Um, especially if it gets to obvious passing situations where the Seahawks have been really troubled on third down and they're in the bottom 10. They've been better the last couple of weeks, but that's where Geno tends to get sacked more often and mistakes tend to happen. So uh, it, you look at the X factor, well, who's going to be the biggest deciding factor? It's it's probably going to be Miles Garrett and whether Seattle can contain him. And chances are Stone Forsyth is going to start a right tackle again. It does not matter because he can start opposite Charles Cross who's one of our better offensive linemen, and he can, he can get that work too. So I, I'm thinking this is going to be a down-to-the-wire game. I, I think that's what, what, what the over-under is like 44 or something like that. I, I would lean towards the under. I'm not expecting a high-scoring game. The weather should be fine. It shouldn't be a factor. Um, but there are definitely big playmakers on both sides of the ball. you got Cooper with Cleveland. You've got DK and Lockett, if DK plays, and Smith and Jigba. you got Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet at the running back position for Seattle. Seattle's got a clear edge in terms of offensive skill talent. But that can all get sure. disrupted by one guy, as we just saw with, with 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 Indianapolis, scoring 38, but also turning it over four times. So, um, yes, of course I'll be the homer that says Seattle wins, but I got almost no confidence in it whatsoever because of the struggles in the red zone and because of just how dominant Miles Garrett is. I mean, this is going to be such a, a, a hard-nosed, hard-fought game, and I'm just hoping for as few injuries as possible 
because everybody's kind of dragging at this point. And yes, this game should have been the Sunday night matchup. They, they, oh, they had, sure. They had about two weeks to, to make up their mind and, and put a better game on than Bears Chargers. And this oh. could have been there. And Seattle's got the throwbacks. I'm wearing a throwback right now. That's great. This could have been the primetime game, but, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, good luck to Cleveland. This is going to be a, a, a this is going to be a throwback game to the days where it's just you, you want to see some tough defense some hard hitting, some really impressive uh, cornerback play and linebackers flying all over the place and some edge rushers getting around tackles and defensive tackles getting past the interior. Um, this is the game for you. I would be shocked if we had another shootout akin to what Cleveland just did with Indianapolis. I love I'm gonna, and I'm going to predict it the exact same way. I love that you said you're going to be a homer and have no confidence about it. I'm going to do the same thing. And I don't think it matters who starts a quarterback for the Browns, because even if it's Deshaun, I I'm sorry, guys, I don't have any faith in the guy right now until he shows me that a he's healed. And I do want to give him a little leeway there because he's injured, but when he's not been injured, he hasn't been great. So like, I'm going to say, I'm going to pick the Browns, but like in a weird, like 21 to 19 kind of game, like one of those weird games. Um, and, and I do think, I think special teams can come up big in this game. And I, I I think whoever wins the turnover battle might win this game. I think that just might be enough to take you over the edge uh, because I think both defenses are really good. I think the Browns are going to struggle offensively, especially you don't have Nick Chubb and now you don't have Jerome Ford. So you're really relying on Kareem Hunt uh, and you're relying on whoever's throwing the ball. So it, it should be an opportunity for Seattle's defense to really lick their chops and get after it. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still, I'm going to go like 21-19 Browns, and I have no confidence in that either. And yes, Browns fan in the comments is like, are you predicting seven field goals? Maybe. Like, maybe. I might be predicting that. So. <laughs> All right, Mookie. Hey, listen, go follow Mookie Alexander. You see his Twitter handle on the screen, at Mookie Alexander. Uh, he covers the Seahawks for field goals, uh, and we'll put it up here. There's a link there that you can catch in the in the comments there. Uh, field goals uh, is where he covers the Seahawks for SB Nation. Mookie, it's been awesome. Uh, I appreciate you knowing your stuff as well as you do. I love talking a little football with you, uh, and I look forward to watching the Browns up there in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, maybe maybe somebody on the Browns is watching this, and they're going to go check out your hero place uh, that, you, that you say is really good up there in Seattle. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for taking the time to join us here in the doghouse. Thank you, Mike. Had a blast. And thanks to everybody in the comment section for, for being so uh, so friendly as well. Hey, listen, I don't know what it is. I think I've done this wrong, and I apologize to everybody. I keep having, like, real likable people on here to talk football. I think next time I do the Steelers or something, I'm going to have to get, like, an old dog that everybody hates just to get people fired up. Anyways, Mookie, I appreciate it, man. We'll see you later, and uh, go Browns from our perspective. Go Hawks. Later, everybody. (laughs) See you, Mookie. Mookie Alexander, again, field goals is where he covers the Seahawks. That was great, man. Uh, Just a a, a really good guy. Spent a whole hour with us talking Brown Seahawks and really knows his stuff. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about how the Seahawks are approaching this game or looking at the Browns or just anything, make sure you go to Mookie first at Mookie Alexander and at field goals on Twitter. Uh, That's going to do it for the doghouse here tonight. Stay tuned because in less than an hour at nine o'clock, The radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn, is joining us on the Garage Beers podcast. That's live at 9 o'clock right back here on the OBR streaming network. We're going to talk all things Cavaliers. That season kicks off, or not kicks off, it tips off tomorrow. So we're going to talk all things Cavaliers. We're going to talk about the Browns again. And and you know us on Garage Beers got to get a little wild. So we're going to talk about this nonsense that's going on with Deshaun Watson's reps. And now Brady Quinn's fighting him on Twitter. We're going to get all into that. 
and we'll talk about so much more of the Buckeyes with a huge win and all that. So make sure you are right back here. Go get a drink. Go to the bathroom. Grab yourself something to eat. Grab a beer and get back here for Garage Beers at 9 o'clock. Until then, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Cheers. Go Browns.